It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Big Bets on Campus podcast. 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 All right, here we go. Spreading the court. Ten seconds remaining. They just got to throw it under the basket. Under the basket. It's the truth for the win. Gone. Oh! They did it. A miracle. Hutchins. Double order. Hit that one from the parking lot. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Big Bets on Campus podcast presented by BetMGM. This is the weekend college basketball betting preview. I'm Stucky and joining me, as always, are my BBOC fellow co-hosts, Mike and Mike, Mike Calabrese and Mike Randall. A lot to get to today. As always, we will add a future to our futures portfolio in the futures roundtable. And then we will talk about the weekend, go around the horn, talk about three or four spots that we each have circled. But before we do get started, let's uh, talk about the week that was, any rants that you want to get out, key takeaways. Randall, uh, I know that you, before we got on the air, you mentioned the Kentucky, Tennessee under that you like last weekend um yeah kentucky i would i want to run against the kentucky defense and i'm also curious to see where the kentucky alabama total opens at it might be 190 but what do you got from the week that was remember this is a safe space you know what pisses me off most of all okay you're ranting now baby yeah i'm ranting why not you gotta let it out somehow well yeah totals are done for me won't be doing those ever again for the rest of the season however stuck very happy today Back to life, back to reality. Coaches and teams that I came into the season fading, that has been a battle all year or supporting, have finally started to lock in. Thank you so much, Mike White and Georgia. Doing what I knew you would do on offense, which is pretty much nothing. You've lost four straight games. You lost five of six. The covers are going the wrong way. Perfect. Out loyal Marymount, Stan Johnson. Thank you for that wonderful loss at San Diego outright as a three and a half point favorite. That was fantastic. And guys, we even got lucky with Hubert Davis. Hubert with a nice little loss there. Not only at Georgia Tech, which stuck God, hats, to, hats off to him, but they bounced back with the loss at home to Clemson outright. So guys, very happy. Some of the coaches, programs, teams, metrics that I just thought were a little overinflated are starting to regress. So very happy about that. On the positive side, much to your chagrin, Stuck, Scott Cross <laughs> continues to cover at Troy. That's all he does. He's top five in the country, Troy, this year against the spread. So good week for me. Kyle Bruce, what do you got? Everything comes down to scheduling for me. I was just telling Randall before we hopped on. We got, I think, 154 games on Saturday, three games on Friday. Like, the power brokers of college basketball have got to get it together. The whole point of the sport is to spread it, to have it be on TV, to have it be available, to be able to create standalone games. There should be games, you know, leading all the way up to the Super Bowl starting at 6 a.m. Like have it be an event. Like we used to have bracket busters. We used to have 24 hours of college hoops. Now we can't even get games on Friday to balance it out. And then you get 
decent mid-major games that totally get lost in the shuffle on Saturdays. So I, I think it does a great disservice to the game. And we're not always going to have these massive Saturdays like we just did with three top 10 matchups to be able to cover up for it. But the one I'm really burning on is the ref scheduling. I don't know if you guys caught this, but ESPN and a couple Twitter accounts have popped up. They've been following where these referees are traveling during the week. So John Higgins, I think it was two weeks ago, was at Rutgers next day at San Diego. After that, at Oregon State, at Stanford, at Purdue, at Texas, all in one week. Like, how much money does college sports need to make before people outside of the head coaches actually make the big money? Like, I know that NIL has finally come along and some superstars can make seven figures and things like that. But it is ridiculous that we have these crews flying, you know, crisscross the country. And then we're all shocked when they are absolutely awful, as they were in the Big 12 this week, throwing out Samson for the first time in his time at Houston. Uh, Drew at Baylor got ejected for the very first time in his career. Like, these guys are clearly sleep-deprived. They're trying to make calls from 35 feet away without the right angle. And, like, I'm, I'm just, at this point, I'm at a loss as to why we can't figure this out. There's got to be referees in regions where we can just keep them there so that they don't have to be, you know, going the George Clooney up in the air millionaire club or million mile club trying to cover every single game across the country. It's just ludicrous. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with that, especially your first point. I mean, just from a bet, a better's perspective, um, I've had a really light card the past week. I've been traveling for some family stuff. And then I just got back home about to get into tomorrow and Saturday. And I'm like, I got, there's no lines out for Saturday yet, obviously. So I'm like sitting down and it's going to take me an hour to go through the three games tomorrow. And then I, I got to go through 155 games on Friday. I mean, it's ridiculous uh, just from a better's perspective. And then you got, you're trying to track injuries and, um, the market throughout. I mean, it's, it's, it's absolutely crazy from a betting perspective. I would like just like put 20, 20 games on Friday, just cut it by 20. You can still have a absolutely full slate college football. Like you have the, we were doing, you already had the Mac during the week. Right. And then they started doing uh, conference, USA. conference USA. And then like that gives a spotlight to those conferences. And it's not like you miss them on Saturdays, right? Those aren't the games that, are generally on people's TVs, even if you have multiple screens. Um, so I wish that, I, I I wish that like we would have. Remember the Ivy and Mac would always be on Fridays, no matter what. Like we need like three or four conferences that no matter what, they're playing on Fridays. Really, there should be nothing left on the table. Like if you are the Summit or the SWAC or you know the Ohio Valley, like get some games on noon on a Monday. Like it's not the most ridiculous scheduling thing that's going to cause coaches and administrators to complain. And then all of a sudden you have inventory to serve up to CBS sports, to ESPN, like someone will cover that game. And then you, you start to bring in those gamblers who just fall in love with that midday action. There's a reason why people bet on the Cincinnati Reds every Tuesday afternoon. It's not because midseason baseball is electric. It's because it's the only show in town. You have an opportunity to build that brand equity and a little bit of loyalty and I don't know why they moved away from it. They've just moved away from all of those gimmicks in the last three to four years. And I think it, it's really hurt the game, like it, particularly Super Bowl week. Everyone's talking about how to grow the game. And Taylor Swift is doing this, that and the other to bring in new fans. Like what is college basketball doing to bring in new fans and making it easier to watch and follow teams as opposed to harder? Yeah, uh, my takeaway from this week is. Chris Holtman's got to go. Uh, I mean, Trey Galloway is out there looking like 
uh, you know, Jordan in his prime. He blow an 18-point home lead to Indiana. I, I don't know how much longer he can last there. Ohio State in the dumpster. And then I also want to give credit to, which will be a transition to our first segment, I want to give credit to South Florida, who, I mean, I don't think many people would have seen this coming. Uh, but now South Florida now in the American standings is all alone in first place at nine and one Florida Atlantic's one game behind the main one they had a comeback victory over Charlotte. Abdur Rahim is doing an amazing job there. We saw, um, you know, we saw what he did with Kennesaw and then we've seen the Kennesaw drop off this year as well. I know that they also lost some players, but. They've now won eight straight, so a lot of credit to South Florida. I will say, as we transition into our futures portfolio, I was going, if someone sees these prices out later, my one of my, my futures portfolio is actually going to be Charlotte at four to one to win the regular season, but I'm not going to give that out or because, like, there's AAC teams playing tonight. So, you know, if, like, Florida Atlantic loses uh, to UAB, like, the, the prices could change. So I don't want to give that out, but I will mention that the reason I like Charlotte, if you look at the standings at four to one, I have them like 40% to at least get a share. Um, and what's important about that is Charlotte getting a share is that if they end up tied with Florida Atlantic, they have the tiebreaker because they beat Florida Atlantic and they don't play them again. So they're one and oh. And if they get the revenge against South Florida, they play South Florida at home. Then if there's a three-way tie between South Florida, and this is the books would decide it on who gets the tiebreaker, who gets the one seed. So if there's a, you know, so most likely Charlotte will need to beat South Florida at home to for this bet to hit, but um, they will be favorites. And if they win that game and say that South Florida, FAU, and Charlotte all finish tied for first then charlotte would win the tiebreaker because if you take the head-to-head of all of them they would be two and one um and uh the others would not be two and one so that's an important distinction that i don't think is being priced in and if you look at charlotte's schedule i mean their hardest games at memphis have you seen memphis lately but their schedule is temple utsa wichita utsa at home wichita at home Tulsa again, South Florida at home, Rice at home, and ECU. That's it. Yeah. That's their schedule the rest of the way. This defense is legit. Uh, you know, they can, you know, the, they they really make you work on the defensive end. They bring a press and they have good rim protection. I really like what they're doing this year. They just blew that lead against South Florida. And then if you look at Florida Atlantic, and we've seen Florida Atlantic like lose almost multiple times. Every time they go on the road it's an adventure they could lose tonight to uab you know they play memphis twice they play smu they play tulane they're at north texas so they're at south florida so they have a a pretty difficult schedule then if you look at south florida south florida has smu they're at charlotte um you know they could even lose at rice i think this is the pretty much the probably the peak of the value in usf so charlotte very easy schedule tie beneficial tiebreaker potential so four to one if you see that out there uh tomorrow grab that i bet some of that today 
Yeah, kudos to Aaron Fearn, too. Uh, was really good coach in Australia. Came over, has been an assistant. First year with Charlotte really has followed in the model that they've had before with, with their head coaches. I mean, Ron Sanchez was there, was a disciple of Bennett. So, yeah, hats off. Great job, uh, Fearn, with Charlotte. Yeah, yeah, I love uh, I love everything they're doing. It. The one team that could really throw a wrench into it is SMU, but um, I think they'll probably suffer another loss or two. But they do have the tiebreaker, at least head to head over Charlotte. But uh, Charlotte four to one, I think there's value. But let's get to our futures roundtable. We have TAMU Final Four. We have UK national title. Not loving either one of those. The problem with Texas A&M, I still don't mind it because just the way that they play, once they get out of the SEC, like the, the way that the offensive rebound, you still have one of the best guards in the country. They just really miss they, – they need someone else to go – Henry Coleman now is becoming like almost non-existent. He can't handle bigs down low. And, you know, we they obviously can't shoot worth a lick. But yeah, they, they, they stuck, stuck on that point. Yeah. I was trying to find any commentary from, you know, Aggies Insider or anything on Coleman – like his minutes are going down as well. Obviously, you know, he's not producing, so they want to give some other people a shot, but it's been a Jekyll and Hyde situation from the beginning of the season to where we are now. I don't know if there's a, a deeper explanation, uh, injury that's not listed or just a loss of confidence, but I agree with you. If he doesn't step up, I don't see them really getting out of the first weekend. Yeah, they would just need a beneficial matchup where, because they could still board. They just can't play a big team, a team like, they got to get to the final four. They got to avoid like UConn and Purdue, right? They got to have someone else knock them off because Julius Marble, I don't know what's going on with him, but they could really use him. Like he's, there's just like an academic issue or something with the university. I don't think he's coming back at this point. Um, but, you know, with those guards, you know, with Radford and Taylor, this is a team that look took Houston on the road, right down to the wire. They beat Iowa state on a neutral court. They could play with anybody. Uh, Kentucky, it's their defense. I mean, they can, I don't think they came with the national title, but with their offense, you know, I think they can get to at least the final four if they don't fix their defense. Uh, who else do we have? We have Houston to win the big 12. That's looking really good. Great CLB on that one stuck. Great CLB yeah, on that one. Yeah. Underdog. Uh, who else do we have? South Carolina. South, South Carolina. Carolina final four and yep. John's to make the final four. Yeah. Hopefully. I don't mind that either. I think John's just sets the coaching. They're they're going to be a tough tournament team. They just got to get in. They can't, I mean, they're on the fringe now. Um, I guess Texas A&M technically could play themselves out too. So hopefully those two teams get in. And then it's, it's a tournament. Things break right. And even these teams that go into the playing game, like one will make a run every year. So we have five futures. It's time to add a sixth. Randall, hopefully we don't have the same one again. I will... What did you bring last week? So, uh, South South Carolina, right? No, in South Carolina, didn't cover. Oh, yeah, didn't um, come. Yeah, they didn't cover that. That melt. We can thank you for that. That melt against Ole Miss minus three and a half. But what do you got this week? Actually, it'll miss in that game. I was thrilled. Uh, okay, wow. so th this is what I'm going with. I there are only four teams in college basketball right now with six or more quad one wins. All right, Purdue and UConn have eight each. Houston has six, and the only other team right now that is six is the Wisconsin Badgers. Now, people are going to get thrown off of Wisconsin because of the losing streak, and they're going to the rack, by the way, so this could still maybe get a little frisky. However, let's remember that teams that make a run in the NCAA tournament always have a part of the year where they struggle. 
Do you remember last year? And it's usually around late January, early February. Remember uh, last year with Connecticut, they ended up losing uh, five of six and six of eight. And then we got the speech from Hurley that they're coming. The difference or the similarity rather in this situation is Wisconsin is good metrically. You may not like what you see. You may not like the total melt at Nebraska, but they rank 11th in adjusted offensive efficiency. They are 32 in adjusted defensive efficiency. They make their free throws. They're great on the board. They got somebody who can penetrate and AJ store. Who's been fantastic. Yes. They have struggled lately. They've lost three straight games, losing at home to Purdue guys. There's no shame in that. So throw that one out of there. The loss at Nebraska, they were up big. Team came back on the road, tough place to play. I ignore that as well. The Michigan loss is bad, but that translates to value. So I'm seeing Wisconsin plus 1,000 to make the Final Four, plus 900. They are around teams like Illinois, Baylor, Creighton, who we hate, of course, and they showed it again the other night against Providence because we don't guard Carter on a three-pointer from half court. Fine. That is the area that I think Wisconsin has value. They've told you guys all year. I think this is the year where good, solid, fundamental teams that the public constantly overlooks, Tennessee, Wisconsin, can make a run. Senior team, a lot of returning minutes, good coaching guard, good size, wing players, can shoot, and they're going through a rough stretch right now. So that gives us value. Guys, Wisconsin Badgers to the final four. Plus 900s, I think there's a plus 1,000 out there as well. Yeah, I mean, look, they were up 18 at Nebraska. They went 3 of 19 from 3 against Purdue. And then I think they had like a, you know, they went 5 of 19 against Michigan. But I think they had just like a little bit of a letdown after those two games. Store is the key here because it is a team that's comfortable in the half court, which I like in March, right? They're very comfortable grinding the game down to a halt. They're good on the glass, but store is that guy who can just get you buckets when you need them. Right. And if you're going through a dry spell, um, you know, and they, they're a very balanced team. And then you have a guy, you know, you have like a wild card, like Klesman. If they could ever figure out how to just plug in his season at the right times, just to get like a couple threes um, off the bench, but yeah, you have a, a very experienced guard in Hepburn, you know, two good bigs. And then the store is that guy. I didn't know if he was going to fit well, but he re he really does. So I don't hate this one at all. Wisconsin Final Four, 10 to 1. Uh, what do you got, Calvary's? So I saw that one of the books opened up their odds to be selected as a number one seed on Selection Sunday. So I immediately closed the window. I wanted to go through and just do my guesstimate for what the price would be on all the teams. So UConn and Purdue are minus 2,500. Makes sense to me. Houston minus 400. That's too rich for my blood. But then there's three teams who were sitting there for the fourth number one seed. Arizona minus 135. Tennessee minus 105. And I was like, well, I guess I would play UNC if it was north of three to one. They're plus 360 to secure a number one seed on Selection Sunday. And here we go. When we break down their schedule and a little bit of how they got here, they're coming off the loss. I actually like the honesty from Ingram and then Baycott talked about it. Apparently they had multiple players sleep through like a pregame nap and they were late to walk, you know, to their training session and then walkthroughs and shoot arounds. And then they come out and they fall down, what, 15 to two to Clemson to open that game. So I think that explains that true sleepwalking through the beginning of that game. 
But outside of that, if they are in a situation where it's apples to apples with Tennessee, they have a head-to-head win over Tennessee, an eight-point win in late November. They have that non-conference win against Oklahoma. They need to finish 7-1 and one in the regular season, in my estimation, and then win the ACC title, So in the tournament title. So what does that mean? They're at Miami. They're at Virginia. They're at Duke. Those are their three tricky games the rest of the way. Can they go 2-1 and one in that stretch? I think that they can, and certainly north of 3-1, to one, it's you know piqued my interest because I don't need to belabor the point. We know what they bring to the table. Offensively, they're top 25. Defensively, they're top 10. Haslametrics, shot quality, actually rate their offense higher than 23rd in Ken Palm. And I spoke on the last episode about Harrison Ingram kind of morphing into that Brady Manic role, that comparison. If he continues to elevate his play and shoot as well as he has from three-point range, he's a perfect complement to Baycott and R.J. Davis. So I think there's enough value here to throw this into our portfolio mix. I, I was originally going to go Charlotte, but let's go. I'm going to go just – I'll just throw out Duke 5-1 to one to win the ACC regular season. I, I still think North Carolina is probably close to its peak. This is flying in the face of what you said, Calvary's, but I I think that there's a good chance this comes down to the last game of the regular season, which will be in Cameron and Duke will be favored there. But I, I look at North Carolina, I mean, going to Virginia, going to Miami, as you mentioned, those are two tricky games. Duke, meanwhile, their road games are Florida State, they do have to go to Miami, Wake, NC State, but they get Virginia and North Carolina at home, which I think is massive. So getting them at five to one, where I think it's a good chance that this comes down to the finale and they just got to be one game back. And then we'll, uh, I got to look into the tiebreakers. Well, depend on if anyone else is there. Virginia, some people are hype, you know, kind of hyping Virginia to win the ACC. I don't see it. I think we're at the – I don't trust their offense. I think we're at the very peak of the market on Virginia. So I think Duke has a little bit of value. So let's go Duke to win the ACC regular season. All right, so we have – well, number one, the Wisconsin Final Four. Number two, UNC one seed. Number three is Duke to win the ACC regular season. All right, three, two, one. Wow. <laughs> Calabrese, I was going to go North Carolina. I think it's such a good pick, but I have this attachment to Tennessee. That's the problem with the one seed, but I was so close. That's why I voted for Stuckey's, but it's a really good call by you. Well, as uh seniority, I've been doing this podcast for what, seven years. Um, So, well, not this specific one, but podcast in action. So I get to break the tie and I'm going to go. I'm going with Randall here. Uh, the reason is I do like the ceiling and the floor of this Wisconsin team. I think we're getting them, you know, at a, a good point. It's kind of like their bottom, got a three-game losing streak. And, you know, I think that they'll beat Rutgers. Then they have Ohio State at home. You have Iowa, Maryland at home, Indiana before Illinois at home. So they think they're probably going to go on a run here for all the reasons I mentioned before, why I like them as well. So – and and with UNC, my problem with UNC, I still think that they have some regression coming on the defensive end from a shooting perspective. And I, it's just the ACC is weak this year. So I think that's going to hurt them. And if I look at, you know, if you go to like Torvik, he has UNC as like 18, 17% to get a one seed projected based on 10,000 simulations. So I think I would need like five to one to bet it because just, you know, UNC has those tricky games at Duke, at Virginia, 
but like it's at Virginia, at Miami. Think about all the other teams in in power conferences, like in the Big Twelve, in the SEC, even the Big East. Like they have many more opportunities to pick up big wins. And I think just the ACC's overall perceived and actual real weakness is going to work against North Carolina. And I also think they'll they'll probably take a couple more losses. So we're rolling with the Badgers, final four, 10 to one. Uh, Calabrese, do you hate it? Love it? Um, I think I think the number, we're pretty close. If it was like 12 to one, I may have voted for Wisconsin. It's not that I hate the play. I think you described it perfectly, which is I, I have a firm grasp on their floor. I think maybe in your vision, their ceiling's a little bit higher, but they're a solid team, you know, and if honestly, if they had not blown that lead to Nebraska, where would this number be? Like the Michigan game, I think we can all forgive it, but when you combine it with the melt against Nebraska, is that a downward trend? Are they falling apart? Have they lost confidence? I think that's probably an overreaction at this point in early February. So I I think it's still a good play. I like the addition to it. And I agree that North Carolina has almost zero room for error. They can drop one more game in ACC play to still win the regular season crown, and then they'd have to win the conference tournament uh, title just and honestly, not only win the ACC tournament, but hopefully get really good opponents in the semis and title game to be able to boost that resume because they are going to go up against Tennessee who can potentially stack, you know, top 15 wins along the way for both the regular season and conference tournament crown. Yeah, I will mention, I mean, Wisconsin also, it's, look, they had a top, they have a top 10 strength of schedule. They had a top 15. Their metrics are good, yes. I mean, their metrics are outstanding. And I know this is an outside chance, very outside, but we just mentioned their schedule, right? And in the non-con, what, they have a neutral win over Virginia, SMU, they beat Marquette. I mean, if they – they'd have to beat Purdue is the problem. But, I mean, they they have, like, maybe a 3%, 4% chance of getting a one seed. Uh, but they could they could get up to a two seed. Um, I think a, a three is probably more realistic. But they, they certainly have upside with that schedule. I mean, there's a, there's a chance that – I mean, I have them favored in every game up until that Purdue game in the finale coming up here. So um, they could certainly win seven in a row and then make a run – maybe get some revenge over Purdue and like the big 10 championship. Then you're talking maybe two seed. This podcast is probably presented by BetMGM. Use bonus code action when signing up to get up to $158 in bonus bets. When you bet $5 for new users in Arizona, Colorado, Illinois, Indiana, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, Wyoming. Terms conditions apply. Must be 21 or older. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. 
Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. All right, good stuff there. Wisconsin to the final four. Let's move on to the weekend. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, wherever you want to go with it. Uh, I'll throw it to you first, Randall. What are you looking at? Oh, please, San Diego State. Uh, Enough with the three-point barrage last week against Utah State. Worst three-point shooting team in the Mountain West, guys. All of a sudden, we turn into lights out NBA Jam. Now we're going to play on Friday, one of the like three games we have on Friday here. They're going to Nevada, a Nevada team that went through their lumps and lost four or five games, but seems to have righted the ship and had a good win away over Utah State as well. I like this team with Steve Alford. You know they have guards who can score. They're flammable. They're shooting well from three-point range within Mountain West competition, 37%. Not great on the boards, I get that, but they do force turnovers. Give me San Diego State to go back to some normal offensive struggles like they have. I think this team is a notch below what we saw last year. Nevada is still a team that's forgotten about in the Mountain West with all the great stuff going on with Colorado State, et cetera. San Diego State with that Utah State when I know they're great at home. They're like 40 and two or something like that at home over the last five years. But Utah State is a good team. And Nevada coming off that game was able to do some damage there against Utah State away. That impressed me more. Give me Nevada. I think they're going to be either a pick them or maybe favored by one on Friday night against San Diego State. Uh, cosine, uh, this was mine for Friday night as well. And I mean, look, San Diego State, we've talked about this a number of times, but I kind of dug into it a little more. And, you know, they have not been great on the road, especially against the top of the, the conference. So their road games this year, they lost at BYU. They lost at Grand Canyon. They did beat Gonzaga. They beat San Jose State by three. They lost at New Mexico by 18. They lost at Boise. They lost at Colorado State by eight. And then they beat Air Force, who cares? What what do a lot of those places have in common? It's elevation. So number one, this is a tricky spot because it's a third game in six days. They played Saturday, Tuesday, now Friday. Nevada played last Friday, Laffer, another Laffer. Um, and they have an extra day of rest. And they're playing at home, used to the altitude. So it's a tricky spot for San Diego State. And for what it's worth, Alfred is, what, eight and two against the spread against Dutcher, head to head. Uh, that's really impressive. Their guards, I think, can give San Diego State's smaller guards uh, some some trouble. And, you know, they can operate in the mid-range. They can make tough shots. That's what you need to do against San Diego State. And they don't turn the ball over, which really helps. And by the way, Nevada, I mean, look, when K.J. Himes is on the floor, they're elite defensively. So he can give you like 15, 20 minutes. or will probably give you some fouls, but he can match up against Lede. But Nick Davidson is on a tear. He had 25 and yep. 22 the past two games and 25 against Utah State. So, and, and that's their offense is really humming um, when he's out there and can kind of space the floor as well. But when it comes to San Diego State, and this is a revenge game from, and, and Nevada, for what it's worth, is probably playing for its tournament life. They, they need this game. Uh, this would be a massive game. This and then their next game at home against New Mexico. But in that first game, they were in all kinds of foul trouble at San Diego State, and they're just a different team there. But it was a two-point game with 10 to go, and they shot 6 of 23 from 3 and 7 of 17 from the line. San Diego State with the line 34 times. Don't think they'll get that friendly of a whistle here. But getting back to my point, San Diego State in altitude, 
This team struggles. And I think a lot of it, you know, I, and look, you, you mentioned it. They've got shot like 46% from three over the past four games. They've gone nuclear, a little bit of aggression there coming. It's not a great three-point shooting team, which is a good thing for Nevada because they're very aggressive, which is a good thing against San Diego State. They're going to trap. They're you're going to take away ice opportunities, and you're going to have to, you know, move the ball, make threes. That's not San Diego State's strength, especially in altitude. But look at Jay Powell, who's their starting four. He splits time with Saunders. Look at his numbers and minutes in altitude games on the road. So at Boise, he played 15 minutes and had six points. At Colorado State, he played nine minutes and just he had one assist. He did nothing in the game. I, so I don't, at Air Force, he played 20 minutes and had one point. And so, I, you know, at Boise State, he played 15 minutes only, six points. I think that he really struggles in altitude, and there's something there. And and just from what I watched, too, it looks like he's – so that really hurts their depth as well. But this team just in general is struggling in altitude. Tough spot, great matchup for Nevada. They're playing extremely well. I like the Wolfpack as well. Calvary, what are you seeing for the weekend? I would love to get five with the Aggies hosting Tennessee. I think this is a sleepy stretch for the Vols. They're at AM, they're at Arkansas, home against Vandy, at Mizzou, and their next four coming down off of playing so well on that Kentucky game. They're feeling great about themselves. They're playing their way into that number one seed conversation. Whereas the Aggies are four points away from a seven game winning streak. They lose the one point decision to Arkansas, three points to Ole Miss. They got wins over Kentucky at LSU. They swept Mizzou and home against Florida in that stretch. And a win here is critical. I think you're going to see a rowdy crowd. I think you're going to see a hungry Aggie team because this clearly puts them in the field. They're on the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're on the right side of the bubble right now. They're probably like a, a 10 seed, but this is a win that clinches it for them. And give me Wade Taylor, the fourth, I got a chance. Like He's gone for 30-plus four times in the past two months. He helped them upset Kentucky. He nearly upset Houston in the Halal Guys Classic, and Houston love Halal Guys. A little half chicken, a little half falafel, white red sauce. Anyway, the key here to me beyond Taylor is Radford. He continues to play despite his arrest for evading police, and Buzz Williams has said he supports him. He you know, is actually really proud of how well he's played under the circumstances. 26 against Florida, 22 against Missouri. He hits the go-ahead bucket that ends up giving them the win against Florida. He's the clutch piece right now for them because defenses can key on Taylor down the stretch. So if he continues to play this well, barring any you know decision by the school to pull him off the floor, I don't think that's coming. If he plays, I'm on the Aggies. I'm hoping for five. I'd play it down to plus four against Tennessee. Yeah, I had an AM circle too. Can they? I mean, look, they don't turn the ball over, and, Texas, and Tennessee's not a great defensive rebounding team, and Texas A&M's the best offensive rebounding team in the country, so they could do some work there. They can also get to the line a ton. Tennessee's going to foul, but Tennessee's two point defense is so good. Like, can A&M make a fucking three? I don't know, um, but like, you're going to have to make threes against Tennessee. Um, they're shooting. What is Texas A&M shooting now? Twenty five percent in league play, but they're shooting twenty. What did they shoot for the year? Twenty six point six for the year. Three hundred fifty seventh in the country. I got to see who's worse than them. Uh, teams that are worse than Texas A&M from three. Coppin State. Are my boys in there? Mississippi Valley State. Mississippi Valley State. Your go. other boys, Detroit, Buffalo, and IUPUI. 
That's that's some impoverished company. Um, <laughs> so maybe they're due, but like this is who that. I mean, they are better than this. They're better than Ui Pui. They are better than Ui Pui from from long range. I've seen the warm ups. <laughs> I've seen the ball go through the net. It's got to happen. I mean, Radford shooting twenty six percent. He's like a career thirty three percent three point shooter. Taylor shooting thirty. He's like career thirty two. Um, who and and then it's like I mean Hefner is only shooting. Yeah, he's shooting right on his average of 31. It's not a great shooting team, but like they what's Carter shooting 20%. He's a career 30%. So they have a little bit of, this would be the game where you got to make a couple, Um, but they're a bad, they're a bad shooting team. They're always going to be a bad shooting team, but I don't think that they're 25% bad. I mean, come on. And they're going to have chances against this Tennessee defense and they're going to get offensive rebounds. So I like the spot. Um, I mentioned Nevada. Um, Let's talk a little, Chicago State. Chicago State going to South Carolina State. Um, no, I really love this spot. This is a random, random This is an spot. intersectional rivalry that we've all been waiting for, so I can't <laughs> wait for you to see this one up. So here's why I like this spot. Chicago State is independent. They don't have a, a league. They only have two D1 games left. It's this and then Wednesday against Eastern Kentucky. They've been off since January 31st. Why is that important? They played like, well, 10 games in 30 days um, between, you know, they played like five games in seven days. And this is a team that doesn't have a bench at all. Rest will help. They've also been playing really well. They won at Stetson. They were, they lost by five uh, at Duquesne. They're 10, five and one against the spread on the road. It's a team that also played like 10 straight road games from December 22nd till the mid, mid January. So this game means something to them. It's like you only have two games left. There's no chance at a postseason or conference tournament. Meanwhile, South Carolina State, like they have their one game back in the MEAC. They play Norfolk State who's in first place next. Like what? why do they care about Chicago State? Also, it's a good matchup. Chicago State has fixed some of their point guard issues. They'll have the best two uh, players on the court by far in Corbett and in Cardet who's probably going to get drafted. And Chicago State's half court, Man defense is really good. That's supposed to over South Carolina State. They're second percentile in half court out, and they're only ninth in transition per synergy. So I don't know how they score. Chicago State's rim D is bad, but South Carolina State rim O is one of the worst in the country. Chicago State wants to get the rim at all costs. They're not that efficient there, but South Carolina State's rim D is so bad. These are two aggressive teams. They press. They want to turn opponents over. A lot of fouls, second chance points. But – Chicago State's much better against the press. They want to get out in transition. South Carolina State, horrendous transition. This is just a great matchup for Chicago State in general. If you just look at the X's and O's, and I, I think that they do, they care much more about this game. I don't really think that South Carolina State cares here. So give me Chicago State in its second to last game at South Carolina State. Real random one. Hoping to get like a, a round of pick. Um, but like this matchup, seems playing well of late and I think the break will do, serve them well. Randall, what do you got? I like great teams. I like great coaches. And I like teams that are motivated. And that, that's why I keep going back to Bradley. And I will do it again at home against Drake. Listen, Drake is fine, guys. But they're just a little bit overrated by the market. They're only 10 and 11 against the spread. Bradley, 13, 8 and 2. And guys, remember, that is earlier in the year. They lost five straight games, in two, including two games 
in the Missouri Valley Conference, so they can't mess around. But they got Connor Hickman back, and they were on fire. They lost away at Indiana State in overtime. The fact that you take Indiana State to overtime at their place is very impressive. And we get them coming off a really rough loss to Evansville, which they should have had. Now they get a Drake team here that I think has started to show the regression that we knew was coming. They do a good job, but they struggle on the boards. Bradley at home on the boards with their length up front is a problem. Drake lost to Indiana State away. They went at home to overtime with Southern Illinois. They had a two-overtime game against Missouri State. They've started to have some struggles here. Now they're playing an away game at Bradley. Bradley is coming off a loss. Bradley is only, always good at home. Ken Palm has this at two. I will grab it right away. Bradley at home, healthy, coming off a loss with a rebounding advantage, ready to rock and roll against a Drake team that I still think is a little overinflated here by the market. Home Bradley, the juggernaut. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Calvary's. So as some of you know, I am a Loyola, Maryland grad, and I can tell you some special things about their home court advantage. One, they don't have their own bands. They rent out a high school band in North Baltimore that comes for like you know, 30 minutes of the game. They play two songs, they roll out. And because of that, there's usually a couple hundred close friends and family at games. That's it. This team this year stinks on ice. They're 0-8 against the spread at home. And according to Evan Maya's home court advantage rating, they're 352nd in the nation. They've been the worst home team against the spread in the Patriot League in the last three seasons, cashing south of 40% of their tickets. And then when it turns into what they do on the floor, they're 308th in shooting efficiency. They're 348th from the line, 333rd in terms of turning the ball over. Now they welcome in Colgate. Colgate only laying, at least according to projections, between eight and ten points in this game. I'd lay up to eleven with you know the Raiders in this spot because I just think the number's too low given the fact that this is a dead cat bounce for the Greyhounds. They snuck out road wins over eight and fourteen Navy, and then they became, according to the numbers I could pull at least, maybe you can double check me on this one. Stuck the only team in Division One this year to win a game in which they shot south of 30% from the field. They shot 29% against American and won 44-43. So they're 2-2 two and two in their last two games. I think that's giving an impression that they're a little bit feisty in the Patriot League. They are not. Here comes Colgate. They remain the class of the Pat League. They're 10-1 and one straight up in conference play. This is actually Langle's best coaching job on the defensive end, in my opinion. They're top 50 in shooting efficiency defense. They're far and away the best defensive team in the league, and Loyola – is 346th in offensive rankings, according to Evan Maya. So I just view this as two teams that are headed in the opposite direction. And I think if you can get it under 10, this is probably one of my biggest bets in Patriot League play all season long. Uh, you mentioned their free throw shooting. And 
one of the reasons for that is Golden DK, who I think all-time name, by the way. Yeah, he's seen his minutes come down. Spanish guy in the not as good as Aldama, but following his footsteps. He had a stretch earlier over like eight games as the big man. He had a stretch where he went four of 29 from the line over like 10 games. Four of 29. What's he shooting for the year? Let me say he's one of the worst free throw shooters I've ever seen. Um, 2021, he went 19 of 64, 29%. He was 30% in 2022. He was 32% last year. Improved this year. He's 28 of 82, 34%. He started his first game, he went six of eight. So I Don't guess let him get hot, man. Don't let him get locked into the line. Yeah, one of the worst free throw shooters you will ever see. If you ever betting Loyola and it's in a close game and he goes to the line, you're screwed. Um, all right, uh, let me throw out – I'm going to throw out Colorado. Now, it's going to come down to who plays tonight. We'll see. Or if they play on Saturday. I need Cody Williams in there. He's going to be really good in the NBA. He missed their last game. He's been hurt this year. They played, they have this is a revenge spot against Arizona. They lost by 50 at Arizona. But you could throw that game out. Williams and De Silva didn't play. Like meaningless. Colorado is four really good players. We'll see if Luke O'Brien, who's a good role player, he missed last game too. They've dealt with a ton of injuries. But they have four really good players. You lump Lampkin in there and then three NBA guys. If they're all, all fully healthy, this is a top 20 team, in my opinion, especially talent-wise. Arizona's not the same team on the road. They're 353rd in away from home metric per Asla metrics. And I am a bit worried about Colorado's transition defense and how they defend the pick and roll, but I'm just trusting the spot. They can also, they can get after the defensive glass. That's important against Arizona. And Arizona kind of struggles defending in the post and in cutting action. They're 18th and 12th percentile for synergy. That's like everything Colorado wants to do. And this is just, I'm assuming Arizona wins tonight against Utah. That might suck some of this value out. But Colorado at home in league play over the past 20 years, when the opponent has three or fewer days of rest, 44-21-1 against the spread, 68%, covering by four points per game. That's since 2005. Most profitable team in the country by a mile in this spot. 16-3 and three against the spread as an underdog, 84%. This is a brutal travel spot. This is the home field, home court advantage that I have ranked number one in the country. Colorado can, I think, punch its ticket, assuming it wins tonight, and then beats Arizona on Saturday. Love the spot here. Um, knowing how everything's priced this year, it's probably, probably going to be one, um, mm-hmm. but hoping to get like three, three and a half. Um, I swear, every spot, I used to, for 20 years, I, at all the spots that I bet everyone like situational spots. I mean, anything now they now they're all priced in three. The market finally priced them all in. Now they're all three points. Um, the the way that I want to bet, and, not, and my volume is going significantly down as a result. But hopefully, you can still find some good ones like Kansas State against Kansas that wasn't priced right. Um, it eventually came down, but you especially got to get these early because the market jumps all over. Randall, what else you got? Last one. How exactly is Gonzaga going to stay with Kentucky? Exactly. How is Gonzaga going to keep a game close with Kentucky, who has lost two straight games at home with all their firepower? 
How is that going to happen with a Gonzaga team this year, guys, that has a fantastic resume of zero and five in quadrant one wins and three and one in quadrant two? This is not a Gonzaga team that can score at this level. They have the bigs inside. They're going to limit Gonzaga as well. They'd have to absolutely shoot great from three. Kentucky's going to get into transition and get them all messed up. I, the Ken Palm, I think the number, I expect this number, It's Ken Palm has it at three. I expect it to probably be five or six. I do not see, as great as Mark Few is, a way that they can keep this close. Gonzaga has not looked good on the road this year. I mean, they won at Pacific by nine and allowed 73 points. Uh, they lost to Santa Clara for the first time in, what, 11 years, whatever that is. Uh, Washington, they lost by five. This is just not a vintage Gonzaga team. And this is a Kentucky team that still has final four talent. And sure, they have all their defensive problems. So if you want to bet the over in the game, I'm fine with that. I do not think Kentucky is losing this game. Therefore, I'm going to lay what appears to be four, five, maybe six in, in that range right away on the Wildcats coming off of two straight home losses to now against a Gonzaga team where they just have to limit EK and they have the bigs to do it. Well, the way that they would keep up is if Kentucky gets zero stops, um, which could happen. Uh, but I like the spot, and yeah, Kentucky should have plenty of success in the offensive end. Calvaries, what do you say? All right, Kentucky, a couple home losses. I'm going to back a team, a couple losses on their resume recently. Buy a low spot. Penny Hardaway, the Memphis Tigers. If I can get seven, I'd maybe play it up to eight in a revenge spot against Tulane. Listen, they blew a six-point lead down the stretch when they played the Green Wave the last time, and Tulane made 40% of their threes and 23 foul shots. And they have to play that way. They are a very good shooting team in the AAC, but overall, Tulane is an awful defensive team. They're 12th out of 14 teams in the American, according to Evan Maya. And Memphis has the offense to kick it into gear. David Jones had 32-11 and 11 the last time they met. I think he eats him up again in this spot. And if we just get a human performance from Tulane from three-point range, I think Memphis will win comfortably, hopefully north of double digits or north of 10, so I don't have to sweat this out down the stretch. But I think this is a nice buy-low spot on a Memphis team that, yes, they have some losses recently, but with the exception of the Rice one, I don't know if any of them are truly horrific. I still think there's plenty to like about this Memphis team, and I have the best player on the court in David Jones, so I'll go with the Tigers. Bad news, they're up 20 in the first half over Temple. <laughs> Yeah, of uh, course, naturally. I'll throw out this one's gonna it's gonna be painful, but we'll see where the the line is. Um this is a great spot. Florida at home. Again, ticket punching game against Auburn. They've had a week off. Auburn's coming off that Alabama embarrassment when they just ran them out of the gym. A couple things I like about this matchup. Florida really good at limiting transition opportunities. They're elite at defending cutting action. That's basically what everything that makes the Auburn offense go. 99th percentile frequency, 96th percentile efficiency for Auburn. Florida, 95th percentile defending that. And I, I think that the Gators can also live at the line here, especially at home, and they can live on the offensive glass. That's what you have to do against Auburn. I think Auburn still has a little bit of shooting regression coming, especially on defense. They give up. Now, their unguarded jumpers have not been falling. I know that they're long, and but they're they're very aggressive with their ball pressure, so they do give up some unguarded jumpers. I think Florida is capable of taking advantage at home. You just have to hope that Florida can limit its turnovers. That's really what this comes down to. But I like the spot here for Florida as a home dog, week off, playing for its tourney lives uh, against an Auburn team coming off that Alabama game. Still don't really try. I still don't trust their guards on the road yet. 
they can prove it to me by March, but I still have questions there. So I like the Gators. They can do a good job on the glass here and uh, get to the line. And then I think they match up pretty well defensively. Broom's going to get his, but other than that, I like the matchup in the spot. Uh, I'll mention one other one. Stetson at home against EKU. Hatters. I hope that uh, I, I love the Hatters at home this year. They match up really well with EKU. I hope we can get like minus one. Doubt it, but we'll see. Pick my, my Colonel Stetson. Colonel, what's that? I know Cozart, man. Cozart's a beast. Uh, but Stetson zones mixing a lot of zones. EKU horrendous zone offense, and Stetson can handle the press. They have two guards who can handle the ball, and uh, EKU has been a bad zone offense the last two years, like really, really bad. And Stetson will mix in a lot of them there. Worry a little bit about the offensive glass for EKU dominating there. But I think it's a good matchup here. And uh, Setson should get a ton of open looks. One other one, Randall, I'm curious to get your thoughts here because you have a good pulse in this team. I was mad. I bet Clemson, but I was hoping UNC won. But UNC going to Miami. This is a must, must win for Miami. Like they're not even on the bubble right now. George, who's their star freshman, is going to play in the NBA. He hurt his ankle. I don't know his status yet. With or without him, he's important. Um, but with or without him, and he'll impact the line. I think this is a good spot for Miami. They scored 38 points. I mean, Laranego is embarrassed. You got five days to prepare for this game. Fewest Miami scored since 1985 when their program was reinstated. You should get a best effort game here. Conference dogs, for what it's worth, after scoring 40 or fewer points. 158, 114, and six against the spread, covering by three points per game, over 58%. UNC defense forces a ton of isolation. The Hurricanes have guys that can thrive there. I, there's still some regression coming for the UNC defense from a shooting perspective. 90, frankly, the 96 percentile on unguarded jumpers, which they give up at an above average rate. Miami, who has been shooting below expectation in ACC play, has a number of shooters. They're actually a good shooting team. They're like the perfect candidate to give UNC some overdue medicine from beyond the arc. Miami's good on the defensive glass, and they don't foul. Those are two primary avenues for UNC, and UNC won't exploit Miami's turnover issues. I know sometimes Miami just decides to turn it over themselves, but that's what kills their offense, and UNC won't exploit that. I'm a little bit worried about their like really anemic post defense, but I think it's a great spot here. I still think UNC's at the peak of its market value. Randall, I know you have a good feel for Miami. Any thoughts there on the Canes? Maybe getting like seven. I know Georgia's status is um, semi-important, but you did get, and they've dealt with injuries all year. Yeah, Georgia's special. He's a special player. Listen, I don't like Miami to go to the Final Four anymore. They just have too many struggles. However, in this spot, I completely agree with you. You could maybe get eight even, too, because people are going to bet North Carolina here, especially coming off the loss. Agree with you with the regression with North Carolina from, with the offense. Still think the turnovers are possible with them. Miami can bang inside. Omir can play well. Larinaga, it's a great spot. If you're uncomfortable with it and the number's too low, you can always go with the over. Because I don't think Miami's going to all of a sudden find defense in this game. So yeah. I think Miami can cover, and it's going to be a high-scoring game. So I agree with you. I'm on it. Would love to get eight. I think it'd be a great spot for them. Do I think they pull it out? No, because I think R.J. Davis just does enough. But it is a great spot. It's a great coach. Bounce back. No one's going to believe in them. And I like the over as well because I don't think Miami's winning is not going to be low scoring. And that I don't think. Omir potentially could get Baycott into foul trouble with sure. like his craftiness. I think he did that last year when they won at UNC. Um, but desperation spot for Miami. And like I said, they can compete on the defensive class. They don't foul at least. Um, and they're going to get some open looks from three. 
and you should get their I mean they're either going to quit which I don't think they will under Laranaga or you'll get their best effort here um so yeah I like uh the Canes all right that will do it for us add a little Badger Final Four future and talk some weekend hoops it was a pleasure as always gentlemen thanks for joining me most importantly thanks to all of you for tuning in if you're watching on YouTube hit that like and subscribe button Make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe to the Big Bets on Campus podcast. Tell a friend, tell an enemy, leave a five-star review. I'll do a bunch of giveaways in a week or two. So just leave a five-star review. doesn't matter what you say. Uh, those really help us out. We'll also be back Saturday morning, 10.30 a.m. Eastern for BBOC Live. Make sure you check myself, Mike, Mike, and Greg Waddell out. And then we'll be back Monday for the weekend recap. Guys from the three-man weave, as always have their Wednesday episode, and then we'll be back late next week for the weekend preview. March will be here before we know it. College basketball is about to get even more exciting. Good luck on all of your wages this weekend, and we will see you on Saturday morning. Cheers. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.